mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Cheery ending to that gospel, wasn't it? <laughs> well, speaking of things cheerful, I don't know if you've noticed as I did this week, it seemed as soon as I hung up my coffee after Remembrance Day, I noticed the signs of Christmas all over the place. I had occasion to have to go to the mall, and while it wasn't quite as bad as it could be, not every surface was covered in the green and red and tinsel, and not every window coated with spray fake snow. Christmas is certainly in the air up there, and the preparations are being made. In Churchland, we have our own special way of preparing for the Christmas season. We call it Advent. Advent is a season where our readings and our prayers are all oriented around a future hope. They're oriented around our longing for the world the way God intended to be. And there are themes of keeping awake, being watchful, being prepared for the Lord's coming. For the Lord's coming in our celebration of Christmas, for the Lord's coming in that future day when all will be made right. And usually some of the things in those Advent readings sound a lot like what we heard in our reading from Thessalonians and our reading from the Gospel. It seems like in the church we're getting ready for Christmas a little early too. Today in our reading we have these three servants and a master who was going away for a long time without saying exactly when he'd be back, sort of mirroring the reality we live in, right? As Christians, we have this Master Jesus who came, who ascended, and we wait with expectations for his coming again when uh, his realm will come in its fullness for God's preferred future to become our present reality. And so there's a real connection between where we live now in this world, and with the people in this reading. So Jesus tells us this parable of these workers, and each one is given money according to their ability to manage it. One is given five talents, one is given two talents, and another is given one talent. Now a talent, if you're not up on your ancient uh, monetary denominations, one talent is worth about half a lifetime's wages for your average labor. So, you know, the one who's given five talents to work with, this is just about the kind of money that all three of these workers would have earned in their entire lifetimes altogether. It's a significant amount of money. So the first two workers, they go off and they trade, and each of them, the one with the five and the one with the two, makes a 100% return. The third worker, however, is afraid of the master. He doesn't want to make a mistake. He doesn't want to mess this up uh, and make a loss. So he plays it safe and buries that talent in the ground. It doesn't work out well for him, though, does it? When the master returns and the third worker explains, I knew you were a very harsh man, sowing or reaping where you didn't sow, gathering where you didn't scatter seed, and I was afraid. Has this ever happened to you where someone that doesn't know you particularly well makes some assessment about you? And it could be a classmate, a co-worker, or someone who, uh, who reports to you, and they say something like, you know, I thought you were a 
I thought you were a really harsh person. I was really intimidated by you. I thought you were pretty stuck up and full of yourself. Well, we don't know what the master was actually like, but the worker sure gets exactly what he thought he was going to get from that master, doesn't he? The master shows him just how harsh he can be, sending him out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is probably a good moment for me to say that these parables that Jesus tells are not allegories. By that I mean there's not a direct one-to-one -one correspondence from every detail in the story to some aspect of the spiritual life. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this, and there's this master who gives this money to these servants to go and work with, Jesus isn't saying that God is just like this master, and if you put a foot on a line, he's going to come down real hard on you. That's not how these parables work. This is a parable telling a story about how do we live in this in-between time when what will be is not yet, and we have to live here and now? How do we live in this world? How do we work in this world? So the story, I think, begs a deeper question. The question about how do we imagine God? What do we imagine God to be like? For this third worker, he pictured the master as a particularly harsh man. And that caused him to fear the master, and that fear led him to avoid risk, to hide the talent in the ground, to play it safe. Our images of God can be very powerful. They can influence how we pray, how we live, how we work. So what do you think God is like? How do you think of God? What's your image of God? I think about the way we pray to God in our services. We use some different images. When we address God, we might say, Almighty God, thinking of a God who is quite powerful and maybe a bit distant from us. Or we might say, Gracious God, or Loving Father, or something like that, which is a much more personal, intimate sort of way of thinking about God. I think there is room for many images of God. But there might be certain images of God that there isn't much room for. So if you have an image of God who is uh, like, like this uh, worker had, this image of the master who is harsh and who is uh, ready to deal out quick punishment, if that's your image of God, that might lead you to live in a quite a fearful way. Well, let's look at those other two workers, the first two, the one who had the five talents and the one who had the two talents. We're not told what they thought of their master, but what sort of image did they have in mind? We're told that when they received that, that money to work with, immediately they went out and started to trade. They got to work straight away. They might have done that because of fear. They really better get on with it. Uh, if you were here last week, you heard Adam reference that great bumper sticker, Jesus is coming, look busy. Right? They, they might have been thinking, we better get on with it, get looking busy. Or they might have been excited. They might have thought, you know, our master is a great entrepreneur. He's an exciting guy to work for. Let's go, let's get busy, because this is going to be fun. That could be an image that's operating for them. 
So what would it look like if we had an image of God that was like that? If we imagined God as this uh, exciting entrepreneur to work with, someone with great ideas for making things better in the world, someone who is trying to uh, make the world a better place, and we can get in on that, we can participate in that. That's a very different image of God that would create a very different way of living. Here's a quote from Thomas Keating, one of my favorite spiritual teachers. He says, think of God in a very big way. And if you do, that's too small. You can't think of anything more wonderful than this God. And you can't figure out anything about God without a special grace. God is so marvelously good, there's no word for it. So gentle, so considerate, so kind, so tender, so everything marvelous. That is God. And whatever you say is far less than it is. As Paul says, it hasn't crossed the imagination of any human being what God has prepared for those who love him. If that's your image of God, then you have no need to live in fear, and you can risk, you can take big risks like those first two workers did. What are the risks that God calls us to? To love, to serve, to give generously from the gifts that we have received. Maybe on some level, with those kinds of risks that God calls us to, there's, there's no real failure. There's no way to fail in these things. But the risk is real. There's a risk that love doesn't get returned. There's a risk that our service isn't well received. There's a risk that the recipients of our generosity go and squander it. But the transformation in our souls for taking these risks is always worth it. Because to risk is the way of Christ. Christ, the embodiment of God's love for humanity, who comes to earth in vulnerability and is misunderstood, is feared by those in power, and is ultimately despised and rejected, the crowd turning on him. But he never stops loving. He never stops serving. He never stops giving of himself generously. So we can join in that risk. Whatever comes, because we follow in the way of Christ, the one who goes before us, the one who is coming to set all things right, and we can take a risk and get in on that action, get in on the realm of God becoming more and more our reality here and now. Amen.